Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading from the 38th chapter of the book of Job. Please read with me. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its living Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the love of the Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? And the New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Luke, in the 14th chapter, beginning in the first verse. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. When very important people Meet Jesus. In part of our liturgy this morning, we read from Job 38. It's one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. Uh, I commend it to you this afternoon to read Job 38, 39, and 40. As a very prominent man uh, encountered the God who made him, the God who sustained him, and the God who redeemed him. And 
it shook him to his core. This morning, we see a very important man in this text. Another very important person. He's on evaluation. We see him meet Jesus. There's a word that is often passed over in this passage. And it's key to understanding what was done and said in this path, in this scene. Look at verse one on the Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler, that word ruler can be translated ruler, chief commander. It's a very, very strong word. Luke was saying he was a significant person. We would have called him a VIP. I like the translation that's in uh, the NIV the best because in the spirit of what Luke or what Jesus was saying through Luke, the NIV says a prominent Pharisee. We see this through the entire story. That's the issue. It wasn't just telling us he's a ruler of the synagogue. It was telling us about this man and the whole setting. What happens when Jesus meets people who see themselves as significant people? The answer is right here in Luke 24. First, I want you to see the sins that dominate our lives are often hidden in our everyday behavior and habits. I want to say that again. It's just plain in this passage. The sins that dominate our lives are often hidden from us in our everyday behavior and habits. Look at verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Jesus was in the house, the house of a Pharisee. He was there for a Sabbath meal after synagogue. It was a small thing as he watched. These, these men, these adults, these prominent men of the community were jockeying for position to get the most important seats in the house. Now, a meal in that day in such a place, it was usually in, in an important meal like that. It was set in a semicircle. The important seats were at the heart of that semicircle. The least important seats were out on the end. Well, every one of these men were trying to get to the center seats. Jesus saw this and he just shook his head. How they chose where to sit was ex exactly an exact representation of how they lived their lives. Was Jesus here trying to give them a lesson in etiquette? A lesson in manners, civility, or courtesy? <laughs> Jesus was not playing Emily Post. Jesus was a Messiah. He was concerned about salvation and heaven and hell, justice and holiness and mercy. Those were the issues on his mind as he watched these men promote themselves. He noticed what motivated their lives in the micro. 
And he knew that was what dominated their lives in the macro. There's no sin in our lives that really owns us, that doesn't show up every day in the smallest ways. There was no humility in them as they seated themselves at this dinner. And Jesus knew that there was no humility in them when they seated themselves before God. That's where the issue was. He was saying, this is not what you do with men. This is what you do with God. The pride that motivated their behavior at this dinner was the same pride that motivated their pride when they entered the temple. And this reminds us. Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus not only watches our lives or has to do with our lives when we come into his sanctuary. But he takes note of our lives in the smallest of activities. How we talk to our husbands and wives. How we listen or don't listen as others speak. How we play golf, how we play basketball, football. How we go to work, how we spend our money. Those, what we do in the micro shouts to the world what we do in the larger areas. For instance, as we read this in this thing of pride, we probably read that and said, that's not me. How gauche. I would never go to the head table at a banquet and seat myself where the dignitaries are supposed to sit. Chuck Swindoll was talking about this. He wrote an excellent book about how Christians should have the attitude of a servant. And he tells us about himself. He was on a father-son canoeing trip with a group of people. Uh, and there they were on the shore, and the instructor was giving them instructions for the day about what they would do, where they would go. And Chuck Swindoll whispered to his son, See that canoe over there? I said, just edge over toward that canoe. It's newer. That's the one we want. That's the one for us. When he wrote that about himself, he was saying that he was doing the exact same thing as the Pharisees in this passage, seeking the best seats. Sin that dominates our lives often hide themselves in plain sight. C.S. Lewis made a brilliant statement about this, and I, I just, I'm going to read what he says. He was concerning humility. Listen to it. Do not imagine that if you met a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble. He will not be a sort of self-depreciating, groveling person who's always telling you that he's a nobody. Probably, when you meet a humble person, all you will think about is that he seemed cheerful, intelligent, a person who took real interest in you and what you said to him. End quote. Lewis understood that when a conversation takes place, the proud person will always be looking at what is said as a mirror. It's like another person is talking and we're looking at a mirror. In seeing ourselves, for instance, somebody is telling us about an accident they had this week. And as we listen, what happens? We're looking in the mirror 
And we can hardly wait till they finish so we can tell them about when we had an accident. That's what we do. He will always be trying, will always be trying to tell others how we see ourselves and in, in what the person said. That's what pride does. Humility looks at the conversation and the situation, not as a mirror, but as a window. A window by which that person does not talk about himself, but a window by which he can see others and know others and sincerely care about others. On the golf course, a self-centered, prideful person will always want to tell you about what happened on that last shot. He won't be talking about the beautiful day or he won't be talking about your game or showing an interest in the other person. A young lady, this has happened several times. There's one specific time a young lady came to me and she said, John, I have a problem. As you know, I've just gotten engaged and I, I, I must go and tell one of my best friends in all of life. And she's not married and she's a little older than I am. And she said, she's just going to be all upset. As soon as I tell her, she'll start crying and say, I'm never going to get married. And she will have a gigantic pity party about it. You know, her friend's problem was not that she was not married. Her friend's problem, as hard as it is to say, was pride and selfishness. She looked into the mirror and saw herself when her friend would say that to her and immediately thought about herself. And she didn't rejoice in the good news that her friend had and what was happening to her friend. What's the point? We often hide sins that dominate our lives in the smallest everyday behaviors that really become habits in our lives. And they're, they're, it's so habitual that we don't see it. Secondly. Pride and self-centeredness will never be correctly seated before God. Pride and self-centeredness will never be correctly seated before God. Look at verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come, will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliate him. You will have to take the least important place for everyone who exalts himself will be humble. What an awful, humiliating situation. The, the guest comes and he thinks that he's, he's going to be in the place of honor. And he goes and he sits at the head table and the people are, uh, he sees people whispering and he's thinking they're talking about what a, what a good person he is, how important he is. And that's where he is. And then the host comes. Now he's seated and everybody watching goes to the front. The host comes and he said, this seat's not for you. It's for this person. You'll have to get up. And so the, everybody present sees you having to get up and you go to a seat near the door. That's humiliating. Why did he say that again? This is not a lesson in etiquette. Jesus was delivering a powerful message to the Pharisees. The pride that causes you to gravitate toward seats of honor at a Sabbath meal in a friend's home. 
It's the same pride that makes you seat yourself in the wrong place before God when you're in his house. He was not saying people who choose the wrong seats at a wedding feast will get exposed. Jesus was saying self-centered and prideful people who put themselves in the wrong place before God will be humbled. Look at Luke 18. We see a perfect picture of this. Luke 18. To some who are confident, confident, prideful in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When the Pharisee came to the temple, stood before God, what place did he take? God, look how good I am. I pay my bills. I'm good to my neighbors. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father, good employer. I'm religious. He came to the presence of God to tell him how good he was. He came to the house of the Lord and he seated himself in a, as a, in a, in a place of honor. He also seated himself front and center physically. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse 23. But the tax collector standing far off. What does it say? The Pharisee was front and center. I want everybody to see me. If you came into the sanctuary today, if we came into the sanctuary, if I walked in and said, I'm the preacher, Lord. I'm going to stand behind the pulpit today and preach. If I came in and said, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Baptist, I'm an Episcopalian. If I came in and said, I, I've been a member of the church since childhood. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. We're seating ourselves in the wrong place. It can be so subtle in the church. We tend to think, where would this church be without me? It's important for us, not only as ministers, as elders, as deacons, members, to know that, that this church belongs to Jesus Christ. He's the center of it. He's the head of it. Some people think we think we're doing Jesus a favor. Thomas Wheeler, 
was one time the chief executive officer of Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance. He tells a story about himself. It's one of my favorite stories. He had, was out with his wife, and he noticed that he was almost out of gas. They were out in the country. And so he pulled off at an exit, and there was just one gas station there, a small gas station. It, it, but it wasn't far from their home. And he pulled in, and there was an attendant there, obvious a man that worked at the station. Wheeler got out and was pumping his gas. And he noticed that his wife was talking to this attendant. And they laughed. They were, you know, they, it, was, it was funny. And he said, what is this? And so when he finished pumping the gas, they got in the car, they were pulling out. And he said to his wife, did you know him? She said, I not only knew him. He said, I dated him for a year before I met you. And he looked at her and he couldn't help it. He said, man, just think how blessed you are that I came along. He said, if I hadn't come along, you'd be married to a station attendant instead of a CEO. And she looked at him and said, no, my dear, if I'd married him, he would be the CEO and you would be the attendant. That's the way, that's the way that Jesus is with the pride of the Pharisees and our pride. God, you're blessed. You're blessed that I'm here. You're blessed to have someone like me to, to, to plead your cause. And we become pretentious in our faith. People, think about it. Think about it. The angels in heaven this morning wonder that people as depraved, as sinful, as dark as we are would dare to come into the house of God. People, we are sinners who even in our faith, in our actions, deny the very faith in God we profess. We can't come to this house, even though our hearts have been changed, even though we have a love of the Lord, we can't come to this house without our sin. And Jesus marries himself, has married himself to us so that because of him, we're able to stand before the throne of God in the very presence of God to stand there and say, who could bring a charge against me? But it's not because we're good. It's because Jesus died. And we are married to him. And we're not ashamed to say, I'm with him. I'm with him. Just as I am without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me. That Jesus died is the only way I can be here. Sin that dominates our lives are often hidden in our everyday behavior and habits. Pride and self-centeredness will never correctly be seated before God. 
And finally, true humility will always choose the lowest place before God and man. Want to know if you're humble? But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to the better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself. What does Jesus have against wealth? He said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he have against VIPs? People in high position, people with great wealth, have a hard time choosing the lowest places. Thomas Wolfe wrote a powerful, powerful book titled Bonfire of the Vanities. Talking about the bonfire of vanity in the world, in the hearts of the world. The key character of the book is named Sherman McCoy. He's a graduate of Yale. He's a bond trader for Pierce and Pierce on Wall Street. Listen to this paragraph from the book. Yet one fine day in a fit of euphoria, after he had picked up the telephone and taken an order for zero coupon bonds that had brought him a $50,000 commission, just like that, this very phrase bubbled into his brain. Master of the universe. On Wall Street, he and a few others, how many, 300 400 had become precisely that, masters of the universe. There's no limit, whatever, end quote. People, that's, we're all like Sherman McCoy. When we succeed and really succeed physically, materially, socially, athletically, we don't have the tendency to see how low we can reach. Jesus said it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he has money? No. Because the more we have, the more self-sufficient we think we are. We're self-made people. I was traveling and met a man who was the epitome of a self-made man. He told me he had quit school when he was 17. He worked for an hourly wage in a building-type business. Then he started his own business. He worked seven days a week for years and years. He burned the candle both ends. We went into the great detail about this. The reason he had told, was telling me this was he had discovered I was a minister. And he wanted to explain why he had no place in his life for what he called religion. He was really saying God. And finally, after he finished, I said, let me ask you a question. What is your bottom line? He said, what do you mean? I said, what's your bottom line? What do you trust? He said, I trust myself and my hard work. I was looking into the eyes of a man who had become God in his own eyes. He was saying to God, I can breathe without your air. I can make my own heart beat. I made all my money by my ingenuity and my strength. I have no time. I have no need for God. 
this man, he wasn't seating himself in the front row. He was seating himself in the place of God. Now we hear that. And we say, I would never do that. I know God made me. I know God sustained me. The Pharisees did too. The Pharisees would have been upset with that man. You see, we do exactly the same thing as that man did. When we bring our works and our good name and our reputation, when we come into this room and seat ourselves with all of that, No, we may not be placing ourselves in the seat of God, the creator and sustainer, but we're placing ourselves in the place of Jesus Christ, his own son. We're placing ourselves in the place of that cross and saying, I'm the redeemer. Look how I've, look what I've done. I'm the redeemer. Look at all the sermons I've preached. Look at all the things I've done. Look at my name. Look at my reputation. People, we're putting ourselves in the place of Jesus Christ himself. And think about who we are when we do that. None of us in this place can hear this message. Not me and not you can hear this message and say, you know, I've never done it. 